for the record, the only selfies I have ever taken were for that video. And most of what uh, the filming crew was laughing at, I didn't actually get, which made me believe they weren't laughing with me. Uh, So, uh, welcome to everyone this morning, including awe, everybody here to pray for the Cubs or Michigan fans who are still trying to catch their breath. So, um, I think it goes without saying, you do not want to have friends like uh, I was representing on that that little video. And instead you want to have friends like Saul Gienta, who on October 25th, 2007, uh, as a member of uh, the 1st Platoon B Company, 173rd Airborne Brigade in Southeast Afghanistan, was with uh, uh, the others in his platoon when they were uh, attacked on their way back to their outpost. And they took uh, heavy uh, machine gun fire and for his noble actions in an effort to save one particular uh, man. And he kept running back into machine gun fire and small arms fire. Uh, Saul was eventually uh, nominated for and received the Medal of Honor. And during the ceremony, uh, when they asked him why he did this, why he continually risked his life uh, in an effort to save this other man, he simply said uh, he was a friend. So, my question is, do you have friends like that? And furthermore, my question is, are you a friend like that? A number of years ago when I was a management consultant, uh, we had a new client, it was a grocery store chain, and one of the first things that we did was this, some customer surveys. And we asked people why they shopped at the stores, these particular stores, right? Was it, was it price? Was it selection? Was it service? Was it the produce, right? What, what led them to pick these stores over other stores? And uh, we got the data, and we were sort of moving forward. And then a couple weeks later, I got hit with a blinding case of the obvious. I thought, oh, my goodness. We didn't even ask the, the, the most significant variable here. Most people pick a grocery store on the basis of location. We didn't even mention that as an option. And I I share that because sometimes it's the most obvious things that we overlook. Now, we've been in this series called Deep. The premise has been, if you don't want to be driftwood, carried along by whatever the fashions and fads of the moment are, uh, until you wash up at some point, willing to go no further, then we need to have a strong inner world. We need to develop our inner life. Uh, so that it's strong enough to shape our outer world as opposed to the outer world shaping our inner world. And to that end, I said we need a dynamic, robust, ongoing, vital relationship with God. And then we went to the book of Proverbs because it's a a profoundly practical book, and and King Solomon, the author of most of it, uh, tends to deal with these kinds of issues. And so we've, we've done a flyover of Proverbs, sort of looking for the big themes. And the first one was wisdom. If we want to have the kind of life that we need, if we want to have that strong inner world, we're we're talking in one sense about wisdom, which is godly character and action. The second big theme was discipline. In order to develop the wisdom that we want, we've got to be willing to suffer now to do the things that are going to establish the habits and patterns in our life that are going to take us over time in the direction that we want. And we said those habits and patterns are the habits and patterns that we find in the life of Jesus. Well, then, uh, said a third big idea in Proverbs is that we need to spend time 
with God, right? We need to meditate on his law. We need to draw into his presence. We need to spend time listening to him and just being with him, right? Not, not there with a whole litany of prayers, but just settling in his presence and getting some scope of who he is. And because and, that, that alone will change us. And then last week, I talked about playing defense. I said, look, it's not just enough to have a strong offense. We actually have to take steps to, quote, be holy. First Thessalonians 4, Paul says that. And in 1 Peter 1, Peter says that. We need to be holy. We need to pursue righteousness. We need to try and do the right things, and we need to not do the wrong things. And I spent particular time on sexual temptation and sin because Solomon does so much. Well, there's one big idea missing. There's one other big point that Solomon makes. And again, it's so obvious in one sense as to be overlooked. But the point that Solomon makes is that uh, we are who we are because of our friends. We might think, we might even describe ourselves as self-made, but we're not self-made. Right? We are who we are as young kids because of our family. And then we become who we become in, in later life because of the people that we spend time with. We happen to become like them. Um, we become like the company we keep. Or, to put this in the context of Proverbs, Solomon says, The companion of fools will suffer harm. He who walks with the wise will become wise. So the This last big theme in the deep series is about friends. What kind of friends do we have? What kind of friend are we? Are are we, are we, do we have friends who are pulling us up or pushing us down or holding us back? Are we lifting our friends up or are we holding them back? It's actually, you might not think it's a spiritual topic. It's actually a big topic in Scripture. We, we, we could go other places besides Proverbs. Solomon, uh, as, as was read for you already, out of Solomon is also the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, that whole vanity of vanities, right? He pursues everything. He's got the option to pursue wealth and women and wine and power and other things at levels no one else in the history of the world really has been able to do. And then he comes back and says, yeah, none of that. None of that actually is what I was really after. So he writes Ecclesiastes, and in there there's that, that famous passage often read at weddings uh, that, you know, two are better than one, and uh, a three-chord strand is not easily broken. So we get Solomon talking about friendship in another book. But we also have other passages about friends. The, the, the most famous Old Testament uh, advocacy of friendship would probably be uh, in First Samuel chapters 18 through 20, where where we see the friendship between, between David, who will become King David, and Saul's son, Jonathan. Saul is the king. Jonathan's supposed to be the next king, according to Saul. But, uh, but he recognizes that David is the one anointed by God, and they become great friends. And there's a lot that we can learn from there. When we go to the New Testament, we have uh, a passage like uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, where the Apostle Paul says, don't be duped, don't be deceived, don't be misled, don't think you're an exception. Bad company corrupts morals, right? If you hang out with the wrong crowd, you're going to get pulled down. And then we have, throughout the Bible, we have all of these one another passages, which assume good friends. We are to love one another. 
We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to pray for one another. We're to confess our sins to one another, right? There's, a, there's an assumption of relationships that are running uh, deep. So uh, there are a number of places that we could look uh, in both the Old and New Testament. I want us to focus uh, out of the book of Proverbs today on the, this theme of having friends who help us go deep. Now, uh, there's, there's a few things I want to say before we jump into there. I'm going to assume that you just sort of understand the value of friendships. You understand we're made as social beings. We need a long time under the care of our parents before we can be independent. Uh, solitary confinement is one of the worst punishments we can give to somebody because we're such social creatures. Uh, I, this past week I was doing one of those little uh, insurance physicals, not really a physical, but sort of uh, they're asking you all these questions. And one of the questions they asked was, do you have a pet? And I said, okay, that's sort of odd because you've been asking, you know, you had a heart attack or a stroke. Tragically, I have to answer yes to a lot more of these today. But, but I said, do I have a pet? Oh, that's because if, if I have a friend of any type, right, I'm likely to live longer. Right? And so you're asking that on the insurance company. I mean, we're, just, we're remarkably social beings. I'm going to assume a general working knowledge of this. I want to make four quick flyover points before we turn to Proverbs. First, I think it's important that we focus on this topic, that we listen to what Solomon says, that we listen to what God says about friendships, because we're not very good at it today, especially the guys. Uh, if you ask a woman who her best friend is, she's likely to tell you somebody that she's talked with that week. If you ask a guy who his best friend is, he's likely to tell you somebody he hasn't seen in 10 years, hasn't talked with in six months. Uh, now, this leads sociologists to say that, that women have more social capital to draw on than men do. However, according to a recent study, by uh, the American Sociological Review, uh, we all get failing grades on this. American adults have fewer friends today than a generation ago, have fewer confidants than a generation ago, and 25% of American adults say they have no close friends. So, um, look, this is, this is a big deal. Friends matter. And so I, I want you to... I want you to to hear this because um, it's not a mystery that we don't have friends. I, I think everybody gets that. We move a lot. Right? I mean, I'm the oldest of five kids. I, I counted yesterday. I think we've lived in 11 states, uh, right, since we graduated from high school. So we sort of all went in different directions. We're much more mobile than we used to be. We don't need each other like we used to. Right? I mean, it used to be you had to be better friends with your neighbors because you relied on each other. I mean, just for little simple things. Now we just hire everything out. You just pay somebody to do all these things. So we don't need friends like we used to need friends. And, uh, and then furthermore, we've, we've traded friendship time uh, basically for watching TV. Uh, so the time we used to spend hanging out with other people we now work or we, we watch TV. I was, I've been reading some Wendell Berry uh, books recently. Wendell Berry is a, I think he's an 80-year-old 
uh, tobacco farmer down in North or South Carolina. And he's written 40 or 50 books, both fiction and nonfiction. And, and he's always sort of making the same themes about, uh, he's always sort of advocating for friendships and a simple life and these kinds of things. And, and in his novels, he's always talking about the fact that a hundred years ago, everybody would go uh, at night and they would go sit for a while with their friends. And that's what you did. After supper, you went and you sat for a while with your friends. And you sat on the porch. And you just talked. And you, you sit till dark. And uh, we, don't, we don't do that very much anymore. So I don't think that we, we need to be coached on why we don't have friends. And, and we don't get a lot of coaching on that in, in Solomon's writings. But what I want to be sure you hear is that it's actually important to God that you have a friend. I mean, this is, this is a spiritual topic. God made you to be social and to have friends. And his advice to us is that we cultivate friendships. So I want to be sure you get that. Um, third, I, I want to be sure that we're using the word friend in the same way. Because I'm, I'm not, we're not going to Solomon here to learn how to expand our network, right, or have more followers, right, get more Facebook friends or LinkedIn uh, people. That's not what Solomon's talking about. He's talking about something a little bit more um, fundamental to life. So in the, in the fourth broken book, which was on friendship, which interestingly is the one I continue to get feedback on, uh, as that sort of goes out a little bit broader circles. This is the one that people are the most shaken up by. In, in that book, I, I set out to define friends. I've often called them 2 a.m. friends, the idea being that uh, this is somebody who you could call at 2 in the morning if life stopped working. As a matter of fact, if you didn't call them at 2 in the morning, they would be confused and frustrated that you didn't call them because I thought we were really good friends and that you would call me if you were in a crisis, no matter what time it was. So in, in the book, though, I, I came at this a little bit differently, and I said, look, let's just imagine a huge circle. In the center of the circle, if you're married, would be your spouse. And, and that's, that's a different kind of friendship. I'm just simply placing your marriage partner in the center because what we're told in Scripture is that the, the, the goal of marriage is that the two would become one. There would be a unity there. Some some. Married couples say my best friend is, is my spouse, and others don't. I'm, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm just simply going to acknowledge that marriage is, if you're married, your marriage is, is your primary earthly relationship. So going to the outer limits, outside of the circle, would be the seven plus billion people who live on the planet. And then I had concentric circles coming in. The outer level, I called level one, and I said, there's four, five hundred people that you recognize enough to wave at them or smile at them. You don't know their name, but you sort of know, oh, that's the person that works at Starbucks, or that's a customer that I see once a week, or that's somebody that's a parent of one of my, uh, one of my kid's friends, right? You, just in, you don't know them well, but you sort of know a little context, and you know them enough to, to smile at them and maybe make polite conversation. Level two would be the 200 to 300 people whose name you know. Uh, that's about how many names we know. Some people know more, but generally it's two to 300 people that we know somebody's name. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit closer friendship with them. Then we come into level three. Level three would be 
between 10 and 30, and this is just how the sociologists sort of define this, the 10 to 30 people who were former best friends or college roommates or, right, you used to be really close with them, but then they moved and so um, you don't, you, you're not hanging out with them like you used to. But when you get together with any of these people, right, when you get together over dinner or you're traveling and you stop in to see them, the conversation goes deep quickly, right? You're not talking about the Cubs. You're not talking, you're talking about family. You're talking about dreams. You're, you're rehearsing memories. You're going back and sharing life in a much more meaningful way. And then in the, in the, in the circle, not the, not the center if you're married, but in, that, in this circle, there's a level four uh, friend. And this is two or three people, not really ever much more than that, with whom th- there are no secrets, right? You take your game face off. You are transparent. You are friends. You're there for each other. You know what's going on with them at a, at a very deep level. So not everybody has level four friends. Most people have some level three friends, and of course, level two and level one uh, would, would, would be the case. We'd all have those. So when we're talking about friends today, I'm mostly talking about level four friends, 2 a.m. friends. And, uh, and I just want to say this is, um, this is something that, that God is on record saying that we need. We were made in the image of a God who has eternally existed in the friendship of himself, right? I mean, this is a sort of a profound point, but God is one God in three persons. He's never been lonely. He's always been his own perfect friend. And we need friends at, at those kind of profound levels. So the last point that I'll make is, as, I, as I take us to Proverbs is, I just want to be sure you understand that when I talk about a need for uh, friends, that's not to come at the expense of solitude. Okay, so I'm advocating for sort of both ends of the spectrum here. And by solitude, again, it's not just you and ESPN radio that I'm talking about. It's you and quiet, you and, you and just your thoughts, you on a, on a walk. It's, this is, for me, this is the reason to get up early in the morning. Uh, the reward is there's, there's a quiet house and I can think and, and nothing, you know, the idea of having a TV on or something is jarring. No, it's, it, it, that's a quiet, meditative kind of time. So many people today don't have this, that kind of solitude. They also don't have deep friends. And so we exist in sort of this no man's land. It's, you know, we're often alone but never really in solitude and we don't, we're often with people, but it's not the kind of friends that we really need. And so I'm advocating and saying, look, I'm talking about this, because Solomon is talking about this, because God is advocating for this, but not at the expense of this, okay? So in my notes, I say a lot more about, uh, about solitude. I quote some authors and, and develop that, so you can get all of that online. But I want, us, uh, I want us to see a few big ideas that emerge from God out of Proverbs about friends. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight three. Number one, God is on record saying we are who we are because of our friends. We rise or fall with them. So two Proverbs here. Proverbs 12:26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully. 
but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Okay? So the righteous choose their friends carefully. The way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, the point here, again, is we become like the company we keep. Now, please hear me. I'm not suggesting that you decide you've got to upgrade all your friends and go back and fire them and say, you know what, uh, on further review, uh, you're, not, you're not quite good enough for me. Uh, it may be that what you need to do is have better friendships with the same people. It may be that you just have got to, you've got to take some leadership here and say, you've got to ask some different kinds of questions. You've got to do some different kinds of things. You've got to model the kind of, of uh, experiment and model the kind of transparency that you're hoping for or have that conversation. I, I will leave that to your review, seriously, in terms of prayer and reflection. Do I have the right people in my life if I want to cultivate uh, more depth in who I am. Now, um, the basic message, though, is that uh, we cannot fool ourselves. 1 Corinthians 15.33. We cannot be deceived. If we have the wrong friends, we're going to get held back. If we're looking for level four friend, friendships out of the wrong people, right, we're going to be held back. And we have to be more intentional about this than uh, we probably have been. To state this a different way, to put this in the context of this whole deep series, um, if you only have shallow friends, you will not be a deep person. Or if you only have shallow friendships, you will not be a deep person. It's possible that you have shallow friendships with people who are otherwise have some depth. The point is we have to be more intentional because God is saying in a variety of places that we are who we are because of our friends. Point two, um, in some ways, friends trump siblings. Now, this is a, a hard point to make. I, I initially wrote it out and said friends matter more than family. And I'm not entirely certain that that's a fair way to state it. But there are a couple proverbs that push me in this direction. Uh, 1717 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend loves at all times, but a brother or sister is born for adversity. 1824, one who has unreliable friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, you might think that these proverbs are making the opposite point, right? That you can have friends, but uh, friends, friends are going to let you down, but you've got a sibling that's always going to be there. Uh, proverbs, remember, and I wrote this in the book, in the chapter on Proverbs. Proverbs are, are not easily understood. You've got to sit with them for a while before they sort of spring open and you understand the depth of what Solomon is communicating. So this is actually shocking. What he's saying in both of these is shocking because he's writing these things in a culture that is very traditional. So family is what matters. We live in a liberal culture. In a liberal culture, um, in a liberal culture, sex is what gets talked about, is what gets elevated, right? I mean, when you're in the grocery store and you're standing in the checkout line, all the glossy magazines, 
They're not talking about friendships. They're not talking about who's friends with who, right? They're talking about who's sleeping with who, right? Because in a liberal culture, that's the relationship that gets talked about the most. That seems to get the most press. Every culture finds some way to push friendships down, okay? Liberal culture, it's sex. Traditional culture, it's family, in a, in, a, in a socialist culture, it's civic relationships. So every, every culture has some reason to put friendships down. And the reason is because there is no biological or sociological necessity for friends. I, I mean, these other relationships have a way of jumping out at you. You sort of can't ignore them. Uh, I mean, you know, the, we've got to find ways to get along in a civic environment. And you, you got to deal with your family. Some of you don't want to deal with your family, but at some point at Thanksgiving and Christmas and occasionally other times, you got to deal with your family. So uh, there, there are, look, if there was no eros, if there was no erotic attraction, we wouldn't be here. If there was no family, we wouldn't have been reared. Right? If, if there was no civic relationships, everything would break down. Some of these things are going to force themselves on us. Friendships do not. In a, in a profound essay on friendship, C.S. Lewis writes, Friendship is the least natural of loves, the least instinctive, organic, biological, gregarious, and necessary. It has the least commerce with our nerves. There is nothing throaty about it, nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red and pale. So these other relationships have to happen. You don't actually have to have a friend. And this is why friendships get pushed down, and this is why in a culture like ours, where we have lots of options, so consequently we're moving quickly, friendships get left behind, right? Because they're not absolutely imperative. And uh, again, one more quote from Lewis. I have no duty to be anyone's friend, and no man in this world has a duty to be mine. Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself. God didn't have to create it. Friendship has no survival value. Rather, it's one of those things which give value to survival. So what I want you to hear here is that there is no biological, technical, economic necessity for you to have friends. But God is saying you need friends. Right? Sort of a bit of a command, right? It's a it's this strong directive. You need to have friends. I made you to be in relationships with other people. And you need to pay attention to who your friends are because they're gonna affect you spiritually. They're gonna pull you up or they're gonna push you down. <clears throat> Number three, real friendships must be cultivated. So number one, we are who we are because of our friends. Number two, uh, friends trump family. They're, they're, they're more important than, than family. Number three, uh, friendships have to be cultivated. Now, friendships also have to be discovered. Uh, this, was, this was a big idea in the writings of Ralph Waldo Emerson. He was an essayist back in the early 19th century, and he said that uh, he was sort of lamenting that so few people had good friends. And he said, uh, you know, in order to have a good friend, you've got to find somebody that sees the world the way you do. And C.S. Lewis, in his writings on friendship, sort of echoes that when he says, friendships 
generally begin when somebody says, wait, you two, I thought I was the only one, right? Stop, you see it that way, you like that, you do that, you think that way, I thought I was the only one. So Lewis will go on to say, there's nothing more desperate than somebody who simply wants a friend and is willing to be a friend with anybody because they're just looking for a friendship. He says, no, it doesn't work that way. You can't make those friendships work. Tim Keller, uh, best-selling author, pastor uh, in, in Manhattan, Keller develops this out of, um, out of Proverbs 27.9, which talks about the sweetness of a friend. And I would not have gotten here uh, but, but he sort of says, okay, the sweetness of a friend. He says, so you got to understand that sweetness is going to be tied to honey. Because the, at the time of Solomon, 1000 BC, uh, they, they, they didn't have sugar and they weren't using sugar in any of their recipes. So they're talking about honey. And so he says, so honey, it, it, the sweetness of a friend would be a surprise and in the same way that food that was sweet would be a surprise. Because you couldn't make something that was sweet. So you just had to discover it that was sweet. So he sort of goes through this whole process. And there we go. There's a, you go. You discover a friend just like the sweetness of a friend. You just, you know, I wouldn't have gotten there. But uh, I, I certainly agree that friendships have to be, in one sense, discovered. There has to be some common ground. When we were first married, uh, I... Uh, sort of at my wife's request, pursued a friendship with her best friend's husband, right? And so the idea was, let's try and all be friends, and I need to, so I need to pursue this guy. He's a good guy, but <laughs> uh, it did not work. So uh, we tried, we tried, we tried, and I, I sort of got philosophical on this, and I thought, okay, well, we don't seem to have anything in common. I thought, sports, all guys have sports in common. So, I, okay, so I went to him about sports. And he said, the only sports I like are motorized sports. And I thought, I don't even think of that as sports. I, you're talking like <laughs> monster trucks and, and uh, motorcycles? He goes, right. He goes, those are the only sports I'm interested in. I thought, okay, yeah, that's not going to work. So we did some things together. We did some mountain biking together. And it was great until we'd stop and try and talk. We just could not find a conversation that we could carry on. And I remember asking him at one point, I go, so what are you reading lately? He goes, what do you mean? I go, well, what, what, what books are you reading? He goes, I haven't read a book since high school. I said, yeah, I'm out. Uh, you know, this is, this is, I tried. This is not going to work. So there is a sense when you've got to discover some camaraderie. There's got to be some chemistry there. And I think we could make that point, uh, as, as I think Keller ably does, out of Proverbs 27. But, but, the, but the bigger idea here is, and I'm saying, is that friendships have to be cultivated. So a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Um, a friend loves at all times. So a brother, a sister, right, is going to be there in a crisis. But... A friend is there all the time, right? I mean, that's, that's sort of the point that he's making. You may not choose to hang out with your siblings. You know, you show up for each other at certain times because you're family. But a friend loves you at all times. And, and so here's one of the things to realize. And this is a little sobering, and, and I, I was a little sobered when it sort of came into focus for me. Most of our relationships 
happen because of some utilitarian value, right? So we hang out with somebody because they do something for us. They make us happy. They teach us something. They introduce us to people, whatever it is. There's some utilitarian value. And, and that's, that's true with the people that are pursuing you, and that's true in many cases of the people that you're pursuing, right? So a friend, though, is not like that, right? A friend is a friend. You're not a means to an end. You're just the end. In, in other situations, when you get knocked down and you've got no ability to be a conduit to something else, right, well, they may not show up. But a friend is somebody that says, no, 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 I'm, I'm just, I'm here for you. But here's the thing. It says uh, a friend loves at all times, right? A friend is there at all times. And part of what happens in a friendship is you just have to invest a lot of time, a lot of time over time to have that kind of a friendship. And so I think we have to be more proactive than we often are. Now, there are some other things that come out of Proverbs if, if, you, uh, if you sort of are willing to sit with this and mine it. And again, it, it, Proverbs is a, is a slow train to wisdom, but it's a train you want to get on. So you, you're reading this book for years before some of these things start to come into focus for you. Uh, Proverbs 26.19 says, uh, Like a, uh, a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. Uh, and then when the neighbor runs out and says, oh, I was only joking. This suggests that real friends are going to have some emotional intelligence about them. They're going to understand what you think is funny and don't think is funny. Right? Uh, also, Proverbs 27.5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So one of the things that a friend is going to do is tell you things no one else will tell you, right? An enemy multiplies kisses. That sounds like Judas, right, betraying Christ with a kiss. An enemy will tell you good things, but a friend is the one who will say, look, here's something you don't get about yourself. And, and if you're not willing to have those conversations, which are, can be, you know, a little emotional fireworks for a while, then it's not because you love your friend too much. Right? It's because you love your own peace and quiet more than you love your friend. Because somebody needs to tell this person what they can't see about themselves. So there's, a, there's just a lot of wisdom in the book of Proverbs, and I want to commend it. Uh, I want to commend it to you. By the way, if you have something, power, money, something like that, then it's very hard for you to have friends who are going to tell you the truth. The more of whatever you have that they don't have as much of, the harder it is for you to have a good friend. And so I just think we have to be much more intentional about our friendships than we ever realized. So friends are rare and costly, but they're important. They're one of the things that gets pushed aside in a culture like ours, but God wants you to have good friends, friends that will lift you up, not hold you back, and we've got to be intentional in thinking about this. The wiser your friends are, the better your life. 
So spend some time thinking about your friendships this week. And here's the action plan. Um, Spend time thinking about them. Pray for your friendships to go to the next level. Work to become a better friend. Right? Perhaps work to reconnect with old friends who you could more quickly reinstall the kind of friendship you're after. And then another thing I'd say is don't give up on your small group. Uh, we were at a, Sherry and I were at a party Friday night with a small group that had been together for 20-some years. And there was just a lot, of, uh, a lot of love and joy in the room and a lot of people sort of standing up and saying, we realize now that we've got something that lots of people don't have. Right? We've been together for 25 years. And we've sort of gone through the good and the bad together. And that's just, that's just precious in ways that you don't always get. Now, it's unlikely that a small group is going to go to a level four. But it can go to a level three. And maybe a few people in there can go to a level four. But I just think we've got to be more intentional about this. Right? If we want to cultivate depth, we need friends of depth. We've got to become a person that's going to help our friends become people of depth. Let me pray for us. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for um, the incredibly practical ways that you coach uh, and encourage us. And we want to we be able to see ourselves. We want to be able to see our sort of relational landscape. We want to see how we can become better friends. We want to uh, discover deeper friendships. I know there are people here who are very... Lonely, people that don't have any good friends. This is hard to hear. They're desperate for friends. have been praying for friends. Father, we would pray for some um, helpful connections. I pray for small groups to keep going and to move past, you know, a level two and to, and to move towards a level three. I pray that we could see, understand, appreciate, and move forward uh, on this whole friendship paradigm. You have made us to be relational beings. Uh, We want to go deep with you. We understand you offer a friendship. Uh, We want to pursue that. Guide and direct us in all of this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.